It's Thursday, and you've got Oz in your ears. Well, here we are. It's Radio Free Oz. We're back, and who am I? I'm David Osmond, your co-host. But, Peter Bergman, are you there? Well, I'm certainly here, and I guess it's there from your perspective, David. I'm, I'm talking with you via landline from uh, New York. I'm uh, holed up in John Goodman's house having a wonderful time and spreading the Oz words down here in Los Angeles. Excellent. Spread those Oz words. Get us on the air in L.A. After all, don't we need, doesn't the world now need the voice of Radio Free Oz? Come on, Pete. Yes. In fact, David, probably more than ever, I was, I was, uh, uh, I woke up yesterday with a gray lady, and I don't want my girlfriend to think that was anything but the New York Times. And I, I was reading the op-ed section. You know, the New York Times is just about the last reasonable op-ed section left. And they're basically saying, oh, man, well, you know, things are going to get really, really hard for people who don't have any money and don't have any power and don't have any influence. And then I get up this morning, and I'm reading another article about the fact that the Republicans have taken over just about all the state houses and all the legislatures, and their idea of fixing the fix is to cut the services from everybody who are not ultra-rich. That's their idea of how to get things done. Very disappointing and, and, uh, and scary and depressing, I might say, all, although I don't want to start. Go ahead. All of those things, but not in every state. <laughs> you know, not yeah. in every state. I mean, California, Washington, we have retained our, our governor here in Washington. So, you know. Yeah. But, however, it's, uh, they passed the rule that you have to get three-quarters or nine-tenths of the legislature to say aye to pass any tax, any future taxes. So, you know, write off any improvements to all of the usual things that somehow just don't deserve improvement, like schools for yeah. example or even yeah like our kids and yeah. schools and our health well here in california they changed the super majority for raising taxes to a simple majority so it, it, with a referendum so they're actually able to go back to the old days but the fact is, is that nobody really has the political balls to raise taxes where they belong which is on the rich you know uh and well because the rich seem to be ruling the roost right nowadays well peter didn't you hear what Rand paul had to say there are the no. rich, there are the rich, and then there's us. We all work for the rich. That's why we should not take any money away from them. Did he actually say that? Oh, yes, baby. Yes, he did. He certainly did say that. We all work for the rich. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I was reading this, this article about the fact that uh, you don't have to go down to South America or Central America to find a banana republic. Our division of income is even more severe than some of the most bananas of the bananas. Well, that's, We've gone bananas, is th- what's actually happened. We've become a banana. The country has become a banana Republican. A banana Republican, exactly. I mean, when, when, when what? Uh, what do we say? 70-some 70, 70 dudes have as much money as the 19 million poorest employed workers, it really does make you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah, and when you dump out of, let's say, 100,000 federal jobs, 
these are guys who yeah. you like inspect the meat and broccoli and eggs. You know, that's who they're going to fire yeah. first. You know, it's the guys who are going down there in the plant saying, oh, this egg is really dirty. It makes me sick just to look at it. That guy is gone because he's making uh, more than the guy who is mowing your lawn in California. Right. So- well, here's a banana Republican for you, the, the reelected governor of Texas, Rick yes. Perry. Rick Perry, yeah, Rick um, Perry um, he, he, he has written a book called written Fed book. Up, Our Fight to Save America from Washington. And I just like, oh. I'd like to read you an excerpt. This is, I've, I've proposed that they become a, a, another country, you know. I mean, I brought this up, and this seems to be the opening salvo. He says, we are fed up with being overtaxed and overregulated. We are tired of being told how much salt we can put on our food, what windows we can buy for our house, what kinds of cars we can drive, what kinds of guns we can own, what kind of prayers we're allowed to say and where we can say them, what political speech we are allowed to use to elect candidates, what kind of energy we we can use, what kind of food we can grow, what doctor we can see, and countless other restrictions on our right to live as we see fit. So that so he's he's fed up, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, somebody's told him to put less salt on his food. But he continues, if you don't support the death penalty and citizens packing a pistol, don't come to Texas. <laughs> I won't. I won't. By the way, no, no plans I just won't. there. I think we should carve it out and let it become, let's call it six flags over Texas. Let's let them have their own flag, right? Let them go. I know a lot of people will suffer with that decision, but I think it's just time to cut them loose. And if there are other states in the South that want to go also, we might seriously considering let them, you know, kind of stick them on with kind of a, you know, Velcro them to Texas and let them go. I'm thinking South Carolina. South Carolina. Well, South Carolina never really did recover from the Civil War. Uh, have you played South Carolina? What have, have I played South Carolina? Never. Yeah, I have never been in South Carolina. I, I played. No, I haven't. I played. I've never been to Charleston. I played Charleston. Oh yeah, yeah. For NPR, did a oh. uh, did a piece from the octagonal uh, thing on top of one of the houses, right down on the uh, on the front street, right? You could see Fort Sumter and Porgy and Bess, and they were all there. It was. It, oh. it has not changed. It has well, not changed. Well, David, we're just gonna we're gonna pray for this country, and um, I'm gonna go um, get John because John would like to do a little schmoozing with John. you. So, uh, so you know, uh, uh, God bless our banana republic. Yes, I think that's what we've that's what we're here, and we'll uh, we'll just peel one and see how it goes down. Calling Doctor Howard, Doctor Fine, Doctor Howard. From poolside, everything's aces. I'm looking at my orange grove and my orange pot and just watching uh well not watching the world go by i'm watching the oranges watch the world go by you're watching that that that, that's that's the view from uh, california from john goodman so you're watching the the oranges are just watching the world go by as far as i know they haven't spoken to me yet uh have you have you heard from governor brown not as of yet uh, (laughs) or anybody named jerry Uh, no nobody nobody named jerry Oh, no, not even not even my damn agent. Well, now that's the guy you want to get a call from. But you, you, you might you might give uh, Jerry Brown a call. Uh, r- uh, yeah. Ring him up. What can I offer? What can I What can an actor probably possibly offer California <laughs> that he hasn't done to him for the last? <laughs> 
what could an actor offer California? We had, there's a tradition there, John. I mean, come on. Can't you see yourself? George as, Murphy. Yeah, George. He was a great tap-dancing senator, George Murphy. Many many don't remember him. <laughs> he was he was <laughs> weaned by Louis B. Mayer himself. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Uh, a, a great preparation for national office, Louis B. Mayer, right? <laughs> yeah, the National Tap Dance Administration. That's it. No, I think uh, I think I think there might be a future there. Um, I mean, after all, Jerry doesn't have any hair anymore. <laughs> and I think you, st- right. I, 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 you know, I think that's, uh, I, I don't know, is that a, a great image for a California governor? Should he? Should no, but it's a look. It's a look. It's you a- have to start with a look. Uh huh. Does he polish? And you switch to life and Collier's. <laughs> don't give me that. I've been reading Red uh, Book for years. Well, on the John. I, on the John. <laughs> uh, no, on the John. I've been reading the Funny Times. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Funny Times. Not just the New York Times, but the Funny Times. This is a great little publication. Uh, really? Yeah, Phil Proctor actually has Planet Proctor in this, and, and Garrison Keillor is in it, and everybody everybody you know except Pete and me is uh, publishing in the okay. in Funny Times. I recommend it for John Reading. It's, uh, you know, yeah. I'm your boy. There you go. I'll send it to you. You got it. Uh, Fre- my oranges will appreciate it. Your oranges, you can arrange them, you know, Around so, to kind of give give sort of an image of of the before oranges. they yield their juice. Yeah. Mm, mm. Speaking of um, speaking of actors running things, I just read in the paper this morning that uh, uh, the the Mr. Peanut, the famous planter's peanut, Mr. Peanut. We've yeah, Mr. Peanut. Yeah. yeah, we've all grown up with him and admired him. And would you think that they would replace his voice with Robert Downey Jr.? No, I mean that's that, that's not the salt peanut that I know. There you go, salt <laughs> peanuts, salt peanuts. Not it's just not it. I yeah, mean, I dig. <laughs> but yeah, like you did. well, I guess I can't use Dizzy Gillespie. <laughs> so I says I think I think you 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 John I think between Governor and Mister Peanut, you've got a great career ahead of yourself. Just wait for that yeah. agent. Just wait for that agent to call. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Dave. Love you, man. Okay, well, you know, John told me a very funny joke that he actually got as a couple of emails, but I'm going to give it to you as as a rock on tour, and I think it's very much uh, in line with what's happening. You know, we've we've basically thrown all the Democrats out of office, all the people that can think and write and care, and, and replaced it with these. Hard, hard-hearted, nothing automatons, and you know, and, and barflies. And this is called, you know, you, you know, watch out what you ask for. Oh, okay, okay, I'm listening. So, so a guy, a guy meets another guy. He says, you know, he said, I, uh, I, uh, I met a genie. You know, they talk about the genie that gives you the three wishes, and he gave me three wishes. I said, yeah, really. And I said, yeah, my first wish was to be wealthy for life. And look, look at this bankroll I got. Wow, what a Lot. And the second thing I asked for was was for a beautiful wife. Here's a picture of her. Isn't she gorgeous? Oh yeah, she's wonderful. And the guy says, "So you got those? We got the wonderful wife, and uh, and uh, uh, you know, you've got uh, all this money, but 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 you've got a, a big orange for a head. What that's all about?" He says, "Yeah." 
said, he said, that's where I screwed up. For my third wish, I asked for a big orange for, for a head. <laughs> 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 you know, it's like... <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe where we screwed up is asking for Republicans to take over the country, because I tell you, Dave... I mean, you know, I love partisanship, and, and I, you know, I, I think it's real nice to have balance of power, and you go on and on. But the fact is that it's one thing to put the opposition in power; it's another thing to put in an opposition that's opposed to everything we absolutely need to get out of this pickle. It's scary. Well, it's yeah, real. it's it's the it, the strangeness goes on down to the states, except you know, except for those states which are their own empires, like California and Texas, and most of the South. You know, things yeah. will go on as usual. There's all this stuff about the last Democratic senator in the southern state. Well, come on. They all used to be Democrats. They all turned to Republicans, and they were all the same old racist bilbos all at the same time anyway. So, uh, Absolutely so, true. So, uh, um, the, you know, as, um, as uh, Reverend Barnstormer said, you know, just figure out how to go around these states. Just figure out how to how to go around them. I mean, I have not been, I must say, in Utah ever in my life. So I've managed yeah. to just go around it. And most of the South, I just managed to go around because somehow I don't think it's safe there. Now, is that un-American of me or, 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 or what, you know? I don't know. Well, it's probably or what? It's probably both. Probably here. something probably like both that. Both un-American and or what? Well, I think the the Middle West having gone Republican is probably a good idea from a, the standpoint of retaining uh, uh, all of the wheat subsidies and uh, corn subsidies. I think they, they won't be cutting that part of the government, right? Because that's money going directly into their pockets. Well, I I don't think they're going to I don't think they're going to stop putting money into the pockets of the rich because now that I realize that Rand Paul got it all like you know understood that basically we work for the rich, so why would we take money out of the pockets of the rich because that's the money they put in our pockets? That's... I just that kind of thinking. That, you know, it's medieval, man. You'd expect some wicked bishop to be telling his illiterate you know congregation, you know, tax not the rich, for your pockets are filled by them. It's just it's just. It's 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 uneducated. We're being we're doomed by ignorance. <laughs> we're doomed. No, everybody. I thought is this the trickle down theory? And I thought no. It this is kind of the damp prison wall theory yeah. of oh. trickle down. You you know you can if you if you if you get tired of your own sweat, you can lick the stone. Well, you know, is it, is it raining prosperity, or are you just trickling down on me? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Mr. Bergman, <laughs> I'll see when you get back to the island. And now we'll return to Radio Free Oz, already in progress. Well, this is Peter Bergman on the road. I'm down in uh, Los Angeles. And wouldn't you know, the minute I get down here, weird things start to happen. A local CBS News helicopter camera caught a mysterious missile shoot across the off the coast of Southern California, Monday of this week, after about 35 miles out to sea off of Catalina Island. According to KCBS, the missile's trail was visible from Los Angeles. And though the U.S. Navy is most likely the source, senior Pentagon and Navy officials are not sure who launched the missile. Local CBS station KFMB talked with a Navy spokesman who said there was no Navy activity occurring anywhere near the incident Monday night, and it wasn't the Navy's missile. Quote, it 
It could be a test firing of an intercontinental ballistic missile from a submarine to demonstrate, mainly to Asia, that we can do that, said former U.S. Ambassador to NATO Robert Ellsworth after seeing video of the missile, although he also said, you know, he was just speculating. Uh, but it, it, only, it only gets better. So he was just speculating. And the best thing he said to wait is just to wait for an explanation from the military. Well, that explanation is not forthcoming. Is it possible that unknown sources in the military are shooting off dummy intercontinental ballistic missiles without telling anyone, including the Navy, to show some Asian nation that we can do it? What Asian nation are we talking about? Have we got some sort of a hotline to, to North Korea say, hey, turn on, turn, on, turn on KABC in Los Angeles, take a look at this sucker. I don't know what's happening, but I think it's pretty spooky. I can tell by the pound you're tied. You're an American, well, so am I. Hi, Bubba, how do you, how do, you do? And while we're on the subject, and while we're on the subject, and while we're on the subject, because you wazoo! This is called Jobs, 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 and it's my latest blog up on Radio Free Oz. What's all this talk about structural unemployment? There's work out there. You just have to know where to find it. Here are four fabulous gridlock-proof fields of opportunity. Robo-signer. Have you got a strong wrist and little moral curiosity? There are stacks of foreclosure documents waiting for your John Hancock. You don't have to read what you're signing, and there's a bling bonus if you beat the quota. Naysayer. The Republicans have done a nonstop job of braying nay to everything Democrats have come up with to deal with the double dip we've been dealt. Boehner and his bad brothers are horse from two years of being horses' asses, and they need a break. So, if you know how to say no loud and clear to any plan that's remotely useful to our present dilemma, then shuffle off to D.C. and get to work. Human fence. Every day, hordes of illegal immigrants are pouring into the country across our poorest borders to the south. Here's a chance to put yourself and your country back to work. Link hands with millions of your fellow unemployed and make a fence of flesh, denying access to those who would infiltrate our economy, filling the very jobs that real Americans won't take because nobody plays them on television. Couch miner. You can change your life with the smallest change. And that's what's waiting for you, hidden in sofas and stuffed seats everywhere. Yes, it's time to leave the couch potato lifestyle behind. But before you do, Reach out of the cushions of that couch and excavate those pennies, nickels, dimes, and even quarters that are going to grubstake your return to reality. As you move up in life, you'll be sitting on fancier couches in fancier places and digging out the really big dough. Get going now. You don't have time to wait around to find out if you're an anchor baby. You've heard how terrorists plan to have babies born in the United States, then sent abroad to be trained and coddled into terrorists, only to return 20 to 30 years later to destroy our way of life. Well, you don't have to wait 20 or 30 years to enjoy the over-the-border taste of Anchor Baby Beer. Our secret? It's a foreign yeast that's been brought over to America, coddled and fermented until it wakes up to the call of action. Hey, it won't destroy your way of life, only your taste for any other brew than Anchor Baby Beer. 
Anchor Baby, a product of Blackout Brewery's Oath Keeper Nevada, now legal in 38 states. Well, here's another chapter in the marvelous book called The Miracle of Modern Medicine. Hey, get ready to answer back to your medicine. Swiss drug maker Novartis AG planned to seek regulatory approval in Europe in the next 18 months for a tablet that contains an embedded microchip. The ingestible chip would be activated by stomach acid, like most of the food in my stomach, and send information to a small patch that patients will wear on their skin. And the patch will then transmit data to a smartphone or over the Internet to your doctor, who's probably playing golf with his mistress. The initial goal of the chip is to make sure patients take their medicine on time and are getting the correct dosages. But longer term, the company is hoping that it will help track whether drugs are being used properly. The chip will be used primarily for transplant patients to avoid organ rejection. Maybe the chip can also tell us if the drug companies are (laughs) acting properly, are charging the right amount, giving the right dosages. You know, I always thought that sooner or later it was going to come down to the fact that we're going to be eating most of our medicine, not just swallowing, you know, bacon, lettuce, and bypass sandwich. I like this, though. Now, privacy people are going to get really freaked out. Well, if I swallow a pill that can, like, transmit to the patch on my skin and then to my doctor's smartphone, they could tell them everything that's going on inside me, my secret thoughts, what I eat, what I smoke. I'll have no secrets. Well, it's true. We have no secrets as it is. But now, you know, now you'll be able to just sit there and your doctor in some remote location, probably again on vacation in Gestat or in Bali, will be able to take care of you at a distance. You know, talk about not making house calls. Good digital day to you, dear friends. I'm Reverend Bill Barnstormer of the First Vigilant Church of Science Fiction. My text today is from the second book of Paul, chapter 2. And Rand went forth unto the tea partiers, his eyes to the ophthalmoscope wherethrough he could see into the eye of his beholders. And he saith unto them, Is it always someone's fault? Maybe sometimes accidents happen. And, dear friends, say thank you for that, because don't we know that accidents do happen every day in our kitchens, in our schoolrooms, and even in our cars? And yes, even in our darkest coal mines and our deepest oil holes, accidents can happen. And if they do, well, can't we blame the government? And, dear friends, if it's not someone's fault, aren't we glad? Because if it were, then we'd have to take an interest in it. And, dear friends, interest rates are way, way down. Now, you can get your own copy of the first and second books of Paul from the fine folks at WFCFA. That's White Folks for a Compassion-Free America right down there in Brasero, Arizona. And say, if you'd like one of those front porch signs you've been hearing about and seeing on the news, it's it's just got those simple words, we ain't calling 911. And after you hang it up there on your porch there, well, you can put your own toy water gun or rocket launcher right there to, you know, give people a picture. So you just send a postcard to sign 
Divine Holy Name Blessed Covenant Church of the Second Amendment dot com right there at box 1776 Billville USA and this is the Reverend Bill Barnstorm saying thank you dear friends well of course it's news that Republicans have completely taken over the House of Representatives and you might think well new ideas fresh ideas divided government factions let's compromise no, all it's going to mean is immense numbers of investigations. Remember how they, they bled Clinton to death? <laughs> all those all those investigations and all those lawyers he had to hire? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. California Representative Daryl Issa is already eyeing a massive expansion of oversight for next year, including hundreds of hearings creating new subcommittees, and launching fresh investigations into the bank bailout, the stimulus, and potentially health care reform. Issa told Politico in an interview that he wants each of his seven subcommittees to hold one or two hearings each week. I want seven hearings a week times 40 weeks, Issa said. He also wants to organize aggressive oversight beyond his committee and plans to refer inquiries to other House panels drawing even more incoming GOP chairman to the cause of investigating the executive branch. You have to keep in mind here that the GOP has the House, but they don't have the Senate, and they don't have the executive branch. And, of course, the House is in no position to investigate the Senate. They're supposed to investigate themselves. So they're going to <coughs> investigate Obama, but not me. To give an idea of how expansive ISIS oversight plans are, look at the record of Representative Henry Waxman. When he chaired um, the uh, Oversight Committee during the 110th Congress during George W. Bush's presidency, so this is a similar situation. You've got the opposition party running the House from the opposition from the man that's president. Waxman held 203 oversight hearings in two years. ISA has signaled he's prepared to hold about 280 in just one year. ISA sees the committee's role as not policy but to measure failures. Well, he could just work on his own party. There's enough failures there to keep him busy until the Democrats take the House back. He likens the job seeing whether the fuel being consumed meets the specifications. And he isn't looking to catch witnesses off guard, saying that oversight should be done with a balance for the American people and not as a gotcha. Well, we'll have to wait and see on that. ISA won't have a shortage of targets. He's been hammering for, for better tracking of the stimulus and he has a growing list of other investigative targets, including the housing meltdown and the bank bailout. Well, it's interesting. You know, the Office of Budget um, took a look at the use of the stimulus funds and found a remarkable lack of corruption or misuse. So maybe he can find something that other nonpartisans can't find. We'll have to just wait and see. So earlier this year, ISA pressured oversight and uh, government reform committee chairman Adolphus Town, a Democrat from to issue a subpoena to Countrywide Financial about its VIP loan program. Other investigations during the, mi the minority included inquests into actions taken during the financial meltdown and a look at problems with Toyota automobiles. That's pretty reasonable. In fact, it beats Henry Waxman going after steroids in baseball, something that I don't consider to be really like uh, first priority. It's not, I don't wake up in the morning you know, with a pit in my stomach because maybe somebody's taking steroids down at the ballpark. ISA says, we really want to study presidential earmarks and the grant-making process. Huh? How do we take all this discretion?
discretionary money and see what is necessary, ISIS said. The debate on how to shrink the federal government is at the core of our problem of government not doing its job. Hold on. Is the government's job to shrink itself? Is that it? it, it it's like we formed the government so it could kind of shrink and self-destruct? No, a government is supposed to operate, and I believe making grants and, you know, working for the general commonwealth is what government's all about. But these Republicans that are stepping into office have a whole different idea. Well, it's not really an idea. It's mainly something they read out of a cult pamphlet. Hey, all of you Ozaneers on Twitter. Uh, retweeting has its rewards, and we are going to give you an opportunity to win some cool stuff simply by helping us spread the word about Radio Free Oz on Twitter. If you aren't following us yet, go up to www.twitter.com slash Network and follow the show. See you on the inside. You know, more and more members of the American electorate are declaring themselves as independent. Uh, it, it, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, independent of faction, independent of party cant, and I'm not going to be a straight-ticket Republican or a straight-ticket Democrat. I'm an independent thinker. Well, I wonder if it really means that. I wonder if it means I'm not going to take the time to really find out what I want and identify with a party that basically works with my best general interests at heart. It also means I can sit in the bar and I can be like on both sides of the argument. In any case, people who call themselves independent, independent voters moved decisively to the Republican Party in last week's election and are more sympathetic to the GOP on a host of policy questions, according to a new national poll. Here's what makes me suspicious. I think these people are just angry. I don't think they're independent because they've looked at both sides of the issues and made an intelligent decision. I just think they're just dumb and angry. Unaffiliated voters overwhelmingly think country is on the wrong track and largely disapprove of President Barack Obama's performance, and a plurality said they were voting for Republicans mostly to offer a check on the President and the Democratic majority, who have done what? Run roughshod over them by giving them decent health care, by, by creating a stimulus plan that will probably pull us out of this mess in a couple of years, by, you know, by, by working to, to regulate Wall Street. I mean, you know, what is it that's trying to keep in check? This wave was driven by independent voting for Republicans, said GOP pollster Walt Ayers at his party's electoral gains. This was an angry protest election where people voted against the Democrats and the Obama agenda, added Democratic pollster Stan Greenberg. The results illuminate what may be the most worrisome trend for Obama and the Democrats in the two years since their political triumph, the flight independent voters to the GOP. I think that after the two years of, of GOP House and gridlock and, and John Boehmer and, and the know-nothings, they may come flying home. Seventy-nine percent of the independents think the country is headed in the wrong direction. Yeah, but they won't take responsibility for it. That's what all this anger bothers me so much about, all this angry reaction. It's real easy to be angry because you project it onto someone else or onto something else. You don't internalize it. You don't stand up and say, hey, mea culpa to 14% of independents believe the country's on the right track. Only 35% of independents approve of the job Obama is doing, while 60% disapprove. And 43% of the independents who supported a Republican congressional candidate said they did so to institute a check on the president and his party. So they don't like the, the GOP bastard they were voting for, but they thought it was better than letting the Democrats have their way. 
Looking ahead, 51% of unaffiliated voters said they backed extending tax cuts across the board, while 40% indicated a preference for not keeping the rates in place for the wealthy. This is not really good thinking. Even more striking, 57% of independents said they favored repealing the new health care law, while only 31% of these so-called independents opposed repeal. But for all the good news for Republicans, the survey also indicates that voters want the two parties to work together. Not exactly what the newly elected GOP officials have in mind, and that's true. These independents are going to see no compromise. They voted for a party that said no as a man and a woman almost 100% of the time since Obama, the Democrats, came to power. Asked if they wanted their elected officials to stand on principle or compromise to pass laws, 61% of independents said they preferred conciliation, while only 32% indicated ideology. Well, there you go. I think the independents are going to be thoroughly disappointed, but I don't know. Maybe they'll still be so angry in two years they'll, they'll keep those know-nothings in office. Oh, I just shudder.
government down, from which, of course, they never recovered. Well, fresh off their election day sweep, top Republicans in Congress are already threatening to block what has traditionally been a fairly routine move, changing the law to increase the total amount of debt the federal government is allowed to take on. If the debt ceiling, as it's called, is not raised before the federal government uses up its current borrowing authority, then sometime in February, the U.S. government will no longer be able to issue more debt. Well, what does that mean? In short, all hell will break loose. If the government can't issue new debt, first it's got to stop paying for things, resulting in furloughs and tightening or suspension, suspending of federal services, which, of course, means screw the poor. This happened in 95, before the big government shutdown at the end of the year, when Congress, remember, a GOP Congress, failed to increase the debt ceiling and the government underwent a smaller shutdown to slow the drip, drip of money out of the Treasury and avoid its there's always wiggle room. There's various accounts that the Treasury can play with, able to draw money on, so this almost certainly would, would extend the time past where they would literally run on a fund, said Dean Baker, an economist at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. At some point, though, the Treasury will be unable to issue more debt. When that happens, things decay dramatically. My guess is you'd probably see some real panic in financial markets. You'd probably see interest rates on U.S. debt go through the roof Sort of like what happened in Greece. Oh, Greece, yes, would, uh, when they uh, threatened to default on their debt. It's a classic hostage situation. And the key question is whether the Republicans are willing to hold ranks and exert their leverage longer than Democrats are willing to call their bluff. If neither side blinks and Congress, led by Republicans, tells the world we're not going to pay off our debt, the economic fallout would be dramatic. If Republican demands are unreasonable, and Democrats refuse to cave, and Republicans will be forced to decide whether to let the country, and particularly their wealthy base and donors on Wall Street, take a huge hit or let down the Tea Party, which is practically itching for a shutdown. Oh, man. So far, Republicans are standing firm. I think it would not be without some strings attached if it happens, because they're going to have to seriously address spending and debt, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell told Fox News last week. Boy, is he eloquent. Senator Tom Coburn. Oh, I love Senator Tom Coburn, the Republican from Oklahoma, a state that does not deserve two senators, has never put two viable, intelligent senators. They just don't pass the mark. They don't pass the, uh, we deserve two senators smell test. He suggested he'd like to see over $300 billion in spending cuts before he'd end a filibuster on the debt ceiling. And you know where that $300 billion is going to come. It ain't going to come out of Afghanistan. And it ain't going to come out of the F-35 program. It's going to come out of your hide. On NBC this weekend, Tea Party leader Jim DeMint, Ayatollah Jim DeMint, the Republican from 
South Carolina, the state that has yet to declare that the Civil War is over, joined in on the fun. No, I won't. Not unless this debt ceiling is combined with some path to balancing our budget, returning to 2008 spending levels, repealing Obamacare, DeMint said. We have got to demonstrate that we have the resolve to cut spending. The Democrats could cave and hand the Republicans spending cuts during a recession. This vote would come as early as this winter, just after Republicans come to power in the House. Well, let's just see. I mean, they do have this extraordinary Tea Party faction. And these people, they're willing to take everything down on what they call principle. I mean, they're, they're just drinking, they're drinking cheap wine with smoking the wrong stuff. And they're angry that they've got a not me as the president. And they're throwing around words like socialism as if they knew what it means. This could be a true debacle. I mean, we're going to have a creeping debacle anyway because of the gridlock and the and the lack of preparedness, and, and I would say in its best sense, patriotism. I think that the, that the Tea Party are actually the anti-patriots. They don't care about the country. They care about their own particular situation, and they're looking for somebody to come around and solve it for them. And they won't take responsibility for themselves. Ah, the new America. One, two, three, four. This one's right out of the Huffington Post. There's this guy, Kevin Hassard. He's a senior fellow and the director of economic policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute, which is a right-wing think tank. And he's produced a little-noticed paper earlier this week arguing that the Bush tax cut should be allowed to expire in their entirety. Not exactly the party line on the right. He writes, the fact is, if we extend the Bush tax cuts, it locks in the status quo. Earth to Washington, the status quo stinks. With the economy still limping forward, much more significant fiscal policy medicine is in order. Republicans that he spoke with last week are bracing for the latter path and another knockdown, drag-out fight. Obama should surprise them with another direction entirely, declare Bush tax cuts, like the Bush administration itself, over. Obama should announce that he will work early in, in 2011 with Republicans, newly empowered in the House, to pass broad tax legislation retroactive to January 1st. He could assure markets that key issues such as the expiring dividend and capital gains tax will be addressed and that bipartisan permanent change would be for the better, the kind of policy that eliminates uncertainty and sets the country on the right path. Well, this is fairly significant when one of the at least recognized right-wing economic lights comes forward and says that the Bush tax cuts don't work. Um, it doesn't mean that the Republicans aren't going to do everything they can to hang on to them, and it doesn't mean that that um, uh, Obama is going to going to get the baits and the balls to to do away with it. Uh, I saw him on 60 Minutes this week, and much as I love the man, I mean, there's just so much Christian civility I can take. It's about time he turned around and said, "These bums are breaking us." Five, four, three, two, beep. Erpy iPad App presents Exorcism in Your Daily Life, registered trademark, Derivatives. 
Let's join Billy and his dad over in their typical Billville home breakfast nook, where Billy is explaining... Uh, you see, Dad, my philosophy teacher wants me to, to produce this music video about derivatives and, and Freud, and, and I need to go practice ultimate ring ball with Bruce. Well, Bobby, I'm not allowed to talk about Freud anymore. Really? Or, or ring ball. Gosh. But, but derivatives are something else. They sure are, Dad. Uh, what are they? It's easy, buddy. You see, derivatives are contracts whose value is determined by, well, by something else. That's very philosophical, Dad. I'm trying. You sure are, Dad. So, what's a contract? Well, Teddy, for that, we'll have to doodle dee dee doodle 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 do on down to see Big Bill Brown there at what's left of the First National Bingo Bank. Golly! doodle 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 well, hi, Mr. Brown. I'm here again. You sure are, buddy. What's it this time? Another question about the size of my fat bonus? I don't want to have to think about that ever again, sir. Mm -hmm. But but anyway, what's a derivatives contract, Mr. Brown? Oh, well, that's easy, son. It's a collateralized debt obligation, and that's a valuable product we bankers sell to hedge against risks. Do I have one, Mr. Brown? You won't even know what one is until you get an M. MBA, Bobby. Oh. You know, sometimes these entirely digital things we buy and sell here are called interest rate swaps, and, and they help to protect us against abrupt changes in interest rates. You mean like the 29% my mom pays on her Kmart card? There's nothing your mom can do about that, Bobby. Oh. I, I expect she'll have to lose her car. What about our food, Mr. Brown? Well, well, for that, Teddy, you better go see Farmer Jones down at the Chemical Corn Exchange Department. Doodly 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 do. Well, Bobby, you see, I grow onions, and onions are the only cash vegetable crop that you can grow, but you can't bet on. I I I can't. No, sir. And there's a fine U.S. federal law to protect you from doing that. Golly. <laughs> what if Goldman Sachs a crap could sell those insane Wall Street gamblers and money-mad banking moguls on a deal to bet on the size of my bulging onion crop? Oh, is that like a metaphor, Farmer Jones? Stop imagining things, Bobby, and listen. All right. There are a lot of people who only care about the stuff they can bet on. Oh, that's very futuristic. Yep, it sure is. Let's say you bet the bank I'll grow 390 tons of onions. Gosh, okay. W what'll that cost me, sir? 390 pink Monopoly dollars and eventually the whole international economy. Wow. Uh, even the euro? Oh, that's sick. It sure is. Now, if you bet that I'm going to grow more tons than that, you go long. Oh, I really like to, Farmer Jones, but I'm only 13. I mean, place your bet, boy. Oh. Or you can go short. And sell my onion contract to some other bozo. Oh, how can I sell it if I didn't buy it? Confusing, ain't it, Bubba? Yeah. And, and you know, that's the way they like it. Mm. But for the real poop, you need to Skype our most prominent futurologist, old Doc Infermo, no. the famous exorcist yeah. down at the Homeland Infirmary Agency. Well, so, Doc, I, I don't know what a derivative is, and, and I'm confused about contracts and obligatory collateralized d d debts, and, and well, well, what do you predict will happen, Dr. Infermo? We're doomed. Golly, again? Derivatives, another exorcism in your daily life iPad app from Herpy. 
This is out of Time Magazine from Michael Schulman, who calls himself the Curious Capitalist. He says, with all this incessant talk about the decline of American global influence, we tend to forget that the U.S. is still by far the world's largest economy, and what happens in the U.S. matters to everyone, everywhere. That's why people from Beijing to Brasilia are watching the midterms with heightened interest. Shifts in U.S. policy on issues such as trade, China, the budget, banking reform, and so on, directly impact the global economy and attempts to reform it. And with the Republicans taking control of the House of Representatives and not the Senate, we'll definitely sh we're definitely in for a shift from the politics and policies of the first two years of the Obama presidency. Well, what do these shifts mean for the world economy, he asks. And his guess is, nothing good. First, we've got the gridlock problem. Yeah, you're right, we've got a, we're gonna have a huge gridlock. Divided Washington probably means that not much will get done to aid the stalling U.S. recovery. Yeah, forget about a second stimulus. We're more likely to see extra pressure on Obama to cut spending, and that's not good for growth. Longer-term issues such as financial reform could just drift. Here's what economists at B of A Merrill Lynch had to say in a recent report. We believe the real issue for the economy is whether the two parties can work together. The popular Wall Street adage is that gridlock is good, because it keeps the government from implementing new policies that further intervene in the private economy. However, short-term gridlock is very bad for the outlook, in our view. Absent a compromise, there will be a major tax shock at the start of next year, as all the tax cuts enacted under President Bush expire, which there's a real good opportunity, real good chance for that they will. Our near-term challenges include the expiration of extended unemployment benefits, rising protectionist pressure, and the implementation and modification of health care and financial reform. Longer term, a massive structural deficit needs to be sharply reduced. Meeting these challenges will require at least some compromise. As we all know, the GOP had ripped the C page out of the dictionary that had the word compromise. I think it may have even had compassion on the same page. With an emboldened GOP, says the curious capitalist, I can't imagine a new bipartisan spirit emerging out of the election, and that means continued uncertainty in U.S. economic policy and the U.S. recovery. The fact is, we can't have a true global recovery from the Great Recession without a sustainable revival in the American economy, however strong the rebound in China and its emerging markets cousins continue to be. The whole tenor of the election was decidedly anti-trade, he says. One campaign ad in which Congressman Zach Space Really? There's a congressman, Zach Space, accused his opponent of supporting policies that shipped jobs to China ended with the line, free trade isn't free. It makes it less likely that Congress will endorse a free trade agenda, such as the one pending with uh, South Korea that could stimulate American exports. So the curious capitalist fear is that the, um, that the America emerging from the midterm elections will be an indecisive America, America that lashes out to preserve its own perceived interests rather than one that seeks cooperative solutions to the world's economic problems. The global economy needs American leadership, not American anger. Well, you know what? The American commonwealth needs American leadership instead of American anger. But we've got a lot, a lot of anger and very little leadership. In fact, the next two years is going to be fueled almost entirely by anger. Unfortunately, I think, on both sides. You know, that makes me angry. What's that all about? What's it all about, Mr. and Mrs. John Q. Smith from Anytown, USA? The United States may be heading for an intensifying confrontation between the gray and the brown, says author Ronald Bronstein. Yes, 
As we trip into the double dip, older white folks are being replaced by brown and black kids. And in a decade or so, young non-whites will be the national majority. In response, older white folks have gone just plain crazy. It's the simplest explanation for the mania that has gripped a vast segment of our over 50 white boomers. They are being simultaneously overwhelmed by the not me and the not it. The not me is every member of the legion of young people of color, any color, any shade, that increasingly dominates the popular culture. The not it is the new reality of disappearing jobs, evaporating credit, and diminishing resources that overnight replace their familiar world of American exceptionalism. Look at the crew of white seniors-to-be leading the reactionary charge against anyone who smells like the not-me and anything that smacks of the not-it. There's Rush Limbaugh morphing daily into an even more poisonous windbag. The self-anointed Glenn Beck calling on God Almighty to strike down his ever-growing enemies list. And Laura Schlesinger who vomits up the N-word when a woman of color has the temerity to call her show. Who's listening to these pious pussbags? The overwhelmingly white and over 50 Tea Party for sure, and 71% of Republicans identify with the Tea Party. It's the revenge of the getting old people. That's why back in January, the entire GOP congressional delegation locked arms and brayed nay at every piece of Democratic legislation. It's a form of magical thinking. Say nay long enough and the problem will go away. But it won't. If the super-rich and the super-pissed orchestrate a midterm bloodbath and send a gang of know-nothing yahoos to Congress who blame sunspots for global warming, American Muslims for Al-Qaeda, and masturbation for the decline of family values, well, things will get really bad really soon. States will go belly up, the infrastructure will crumble, unemployment will skyrocket, and the dream of the return of that shining gated city on the hill will fade away. The angry greys will have to step aside and let a younger, multi-hued America put this country back on the road to recovery. All right, Thursday, last day before we get into best of the best world. Uh, we're we're still with the Tang, man. We're of hanging course. with the Tangin'. I'm, you know? I'm I'm revisiting this wonderful book that uh, is features Tu Fu. It's uh, five Tang poets. That's where we started uh, this show 120 <laughs> or 30 programs ago. Uh, you know, what, who publishes? Is it, is it a Penguin it, book? No, not no. at all. This was from. Oberlin, Oberlin College Press. Oh, it's it's got a gorgeous cover. So, what's the name of places. it again, just in case it, people want to pick it up? It's called Five Tang Poets, and the really muscular, brilliant translations are by David Young. Good. And it's a it is meant to be a scholarly book, but actually, ah, man, it kicks. We love it. Okay, yeah. so here's Tu Fu's Meandering River to let us kind of meander on on home. Okay. Okay. Good. Good idea. Every fallen petal diminishes spring. So the wind showers down a thousand just to make me sad. I'll keep my eyes on the ones that remain and have some wine, whether it's good for me or not. Kingfishers nest in the ruins by the river. A stone unicorn lies on its side in the park. Nature says, enjoy yourself and don't waste time. Why worry then about things like rank and office. 
Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why worry about rank, office, gridlock, and all of that? Every fallen petal diminishes spring. Spring, yeah. Yeah, that's a worthy line. That's a worthy line of poetry. Well, we're all headed to glory, David. At least we're headed to more Oz, which is a type of glory. And we'll see you there. Yo-ho.